throughout all these things, like that song says, it's, it's hard to know what's turning, when it's turning, and, and what to do in the midst of those different seasons. And so we've been talking about kind of life and the meaning of it and the purpose behind it. And if you've been here uh, every week of this series, you've heard kind of this raw emotion from King Solomon as he's just trying to figure out what life is all about. And he's very honest. And he talks a lot about how things are meaningless, things are a vanity, and it seems like life sometimes is like a chasing after the wind where you try to get your hands around what's important. It seems like it just kind of goes through your fingers. And we kicked off the series talking about what's the point, which is the big backdrop, which is what is life all about? Like what, What's the win in life? Like How do you know if your life was lived in a way that made a difference or was worth something. And then we kicked the second week off talking about uh, the uncertainties of life and how those are the things that really can frustrate us. And so what do we do when we can't predict our future and when we don't know why things are happening to us and where's God in the midst of that? And then last week uh, we talked about how the importance of of evaluating our, our desires and our emotions and making sure that we don't go down a path following our heart following what we think will make us happy, following our desires without asking the question, where will following my desires get me? And Solomon, he was probably the richest man that ever lived. He had resources and people at his disposal to really get what he wanted at any time. And so he went on this quest for purpose and meaning. And along his life, he walked with God. He was the wisest man. And then he kind of drifted away. And he stopped walking with God. He stopped doing life God's way. And in the midst of this, he was trying to figure out how to actually gain as much meaning possible without God in the picture. And that's why in this book, you find a lot of these evaluations are, are just this search and they seem hopeless because he's trying to figure out, how do, I, how do I figure life out on my own? How do I make this all work, this puzzle? How do I fit it all together when the pieces don't seem to gel? And it's the same, really, For us today, we're all on this quest for meaning and purpose and trying to figure it all out. And we have two choices. We either try to kind of figure out God's purpose in our life and what that means, or we try to figure out purpose without God. And that leads to different results. And so Solomon, in this book, is kind of taking on this journey of what that looks like. And he actually reaches the right conclusion. We're going to be getting there in the next couple of weeks. But today he's talking about a topic, the scripture we're going to be talking about, is something that we all face and we all deal with and that's work and so he's trying to figure out life purpose meaning enjoyment pleasure and work how does that all fit together now work is something that i think we all can relate to i was doing some research over the last couple weeks just at the time we spend at work you basically spend a third of your life working And then when you encounter sleep, you don't have a whole lot of time left in life. And so Solomon is trying to figure out, how does this work, which sucks up so much time, how can we approach it in a way that actually doesn't feel like we just wasted our life? And if you're like me, you hear the word work, and sometimes there's kind of different emotions and reactions that you have, right? It's Sunday. What's coming tomorrow? The worst day of the week. Why? Because you have to go back to work. Or my dad, he was in the military for many years, and he would always say on Sunday night, well, son, it's back to the grind. And I kind of thought about that. I was like, you know, isn't that kind of our approach to work at sometimes, or at least our reaction, a grind? 
Does that sound like really like an upper? I'm going to go to the grind. Have you ever seen a grinder? It crushes things just into pieces. Welcome to work. And there's some of us here that are going to college to actually get jobs. To get to the point where you're going to the grind. And there's a sense in which you work all your life to get to work. And then you get work and you're thinking, this is it? And on a Friday night you're thinking, I just want to make the most out of Saturday. I want to make the most out of Sunday before I have to go back to the bone-crushing grind of work. That's what Solomon's he's, he's experienced as well. And so usually we're in two extremes when it comes to work. The thing that we spend a lot of our life in. And we tend to approach work as either our focus of our life or the foe of our life. It's either our focus or our foe. Now, sometimes, depending on the work that we do, it may be our focus and it may be just the thing that we center our life around. We decide everything based on our work schedule. We decide everything based on the pressures of work, the priorities of work, and we try to fit everything else into work. And that's when it's our focus. It's the thing that we are focused on. This is the thing that we're aiming towards. This is what we want to put our time and resources in because it seems like if work is our focus, that's going to lead to the best life possible. And here's some signs that work is your focus. Okay? Now, th- these are just fun. This, I was just thinking, how do you know if work is your focus? Well, I think if you have a beach scene on your screensaver at your computer and you think that's a vacation, work is your focus. Okay. Instagram, you guys know about that. Probably it's, you know, you take pictures. Well, if your Instagram account is like of spreadsheets and work calendars, work is your focus. Now, the other side, if you're not in that extreme where it just consumes you and you spend all your time doing it, and when you're not at work, you spend your time thinking it, then it might be your foe. You could be on the other extreme where the best naps you have are between 8 and 5 Monday through Friday. Work might be your foe. Or at 4.55 every day, you have a countdown like New Year's Eve till 5 o'clock. Work might be your foe. And sometimes you go from one extreme to the other. I know I do. It's like I have stuff that's looming at work, the projects that I have to get done, the people that I have to work with to get those projects done, and that just consumes me. I get home from work and all I'm thinking is about what I didn't do, what I need to do, and how to get all that done. And there's times when my alarm goes off to get to work, and I'm like, I just want to sleep. Is that too much to ask? Right? We all face that. It's these two extremes. Two extremes. And and Solomon, he he experienced this as well. He experienced mighty work. He did tons of things, and he built kingdoms and palaces. and, And at the same time, he didn't want to work, and he just spent his time eating and feasting and partying. And those kind of appeal to us both. We want... Kind of the pleasure that comes from building something, and then we want the pleasure from just not having to do anything at all. This is the life Solomon lived. And he starts off talking about this in Ecclesiastes 2, and that's where I want to pick up today. He says this, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun. So there, again, raw, I hated the work. You ever felt like that? I just hated the work. Which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. I work hard, and then I'm going to die. And all the work that I've done is just going to get left to somebody to, to enjoy. So he's just throwing it out there. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to build my own empire. And then I'm going to die. And what if the person that comes after me just wastes it away? Did I waste my whole life? That's what he's asking. 
And he says, yet he will be master of all for which I told and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is a vanity. He's just saying it's frustrating. You work hard and you don't get to enjoy it a lot of times. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. So the frustration left to just this like depression almost. like Spending all my time, a third of my life on work. And what do I have to show for it? He's just throwing it out there. What do I have to show for it? And he says, because sometimes a person who is told with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is a vanity and a great evil. You work hard and you don't get to enjoy the work of your hands. He's saying that's one of the most frustrating and evil things. I kind of like, you know, I was talking about buffets and eating. Have you ever, you know, got through your main meal just so you could focus on the dessert? And you don't really care about the meal itself, but you really want the dessert. And if for one reason or another you eat your meal, but you don't get to enjoy the dessert, or maybe have kids and they take your dessert from you. That's what he's saying. It's like we wait our whole life to get to the dessert, to the good part of life, whether that's a retirement or whether that's enjoying what we've done. But sometimes the way life works is we don't get that. We don't get to experience it. So he's saying if your work is your focus, you're in trouble. But if your work is your foe and you don't really give time to it, you're in trouble as well because what are you working towards? What are you spending your time doing? So this is a vanity, a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Remember that word. It's frustrating. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is a vanity. So work takes a lot of our time. And there's just a couple aspects of work which are true that we have to wrestle with. We can spend a whole lot of our life working and not really seeing the difference it makes. That is vexing. Doesn't that sound so frustrating to not know if it made a difference? And you think, well, why, why do it? So Solomon's kind of saying that there's got to be something more. There's got to be something better than this. Or you may work hard and the harder you work, You'll never get done. There's a sense in which he keeps describing this work under the sun and the toil and the toil and the toil. You ever found that? You work hard. And as you work hard, you get more responsibilities and you're working harder. And because you're working harder, you're more responsibilities. Maybe your boss promotes you and you get more responsibilities. And guess what? As you get more responsibilities, you still have to work hard. And then as you work hard with those responsibilities, do you get less or more responsibilities? You always usually get more. And the more responsibilities you get, the harder you work. And the harder you work, the more responsibilities you get. What? That's what he's saying. Isn't that so frustrating? So then it's like, well, it's a foe then. I won't focus on it. I'll just coast. And then you get fired. The end. No, there's more, right? There's got to be more. It either consumes you or you just don't work. What, what do you do with this? And so he's saying you, you, have to, you have to wrestle with this. And then he comes to some conclusions. Again, this is poetry. And so he's just kind of, here's my emotions. He's emoting. And we've all been there. You come home from work and you're tired. Or you've been all day with your kids. And your spouse comes home from work and you're tired. And you're in school and you're doing these classes. And you're asking, why am I have to do this class? Why am I, why am I spending money for this class? 
And you get to that point where you're just so frustrated, you just want to vent, you just want to kind of say, I can't stand it, why am I doing this? And that's what Solomon's doing. He's just letting us into his world. He's emoting. He's bearing his heart and his soul. But oftentimes, you have to continue reading in Scripture. You have to kind of let the story play itself out. And this is what he goes on to say. Really, that God, despite the frustration, actually wants to bring fulfillment to our work. Now that, I can get behind. That is hopeful. If I'm going to spend so much time working, being a boss, being under a boss, having responsibilities, having more responsibilities, I want it to be fulfilling. And I'm sure you do too. What Solomon gets to is the fact that by yourself, whether it's your focus or it's your foe, you have to make a choice of who you work for. That's the conclusion he begins to make. Who you work for determines how fulfilling or not your work will be. This is what he goes on to say in Ecclesiastes 2, 24-25. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. So he says, you know, there's a lot, oftentimes you don't have the enjoyment. But then there's those points where you actually get to enjoy like, the fruit of your labor. You've experienced that. You've worked hard on a project for school. You've worked hard on a project for work. You've worked hard just to try to get something down in your life. And all of a sudden, it clicks and you've done it. That's fulfilling. That's what he's saying. God brings that. He, he wants us to enjoy that. He says, this also I saw is from the hand of God. That's a key phrase. The fact that we can enjoy our work it actually doesn't come from us. It comes from the hand of God. This shows God's love for me and you. We're spending so much time doing work. He actually does want us to find fulfillment in it. To be able to experience the fruit that comes from it. It's from His hand. It's a gift from Him. And then He says in verse 25, this is a really key verse. For apart from Him, so apart from God, who can eat or who can have enjoyment. So he's saying whatever you spend your time doing, the work that you have on your plate, God will bring fulfillment. And he actually, over time, allows you to find fulfillment and joy in it. He says, for apart from him, you can't. You try to do it yourself. You try to bring everything together in your work to make sure everything aligns at the right time with the right people so you get the promotion, you get the raise, you get the title, get everything you want. If God's not in your life, and if you're not working for Him, it's, it's that emptiness that He was describing earlier. It just there's no, there's no fruit. And so the promise here that Solomon's saying is it doesn't need to consume us by focusing on it or consume us from running from it. If we are faithful with the work that we have, God can bring fulfillment. So you may ask, okay, so I, I, I'm here at church and we're talking about work. Like, am I going to have like a PowerPoint presentation with spreadsheets? And No. But here's the, the idea. In scriptures, as you read it, you find that the Bible applies to so many areas of life. And work is one of them. There's so many different ideas about work and the attitude God wants us to have the perspective, how he wants us to relate to our authority and our bosses. And so figuring this thing out and work and 
what it means is crucial to life. And here's why. God himself, he's a worker. The fact that we're here shows that God created the world. And he decided to work to do that. He took six days to create what we experience here on earth and what we see in the universe. And that was the work of his hands. And when you see the beauty that we have, you know, when the wind kicks up and the weather gets a little cooler and the smog moves out, you look around, you actually see mountains. You know when that happens like a few times a year here? You see the work of the hands. The work of his hands. There's like, said, wow, God worked and brought that mountain into existence. Even the birth of a new baby. It's like, God, just, he made that work. He worked, brought that baby into existence. God himself is a worker. And we are made in his image. We are made to be like God is. And so if he's a worker, then we have to be workers. And that's how things get done. So as the people that he's created and put here on this earth, we have an opportunity to work to bring things about. That's the managing of his land, his creation, working with people, all these things that we spend our time doing. It actually is a part of being made in the image of God. Now, when your alarm goes off tomorrow at 5.30 a.m., you're not thinking that. You're thinking, (laughs) to every season turn... There's like a time to weep. That's your weeping. 5.30, right? But it's true. It's so helpful perspective. Okay, we work because God himself is a worker. He made us in his image. So when we do it, we're actually pleasing him. And that's where the fulfillment comes. So there's just some perspective here that that we need to learn. So here's here's some things about work. Uh, There's a book uh, by William Hendricks that's uh, Your Work Matters to God. And oftentimes we think God and work. Well, is God only pleased with my work if it's like spiritual work? Like if you're a pastor, you go on a mission trip, is that the work that he's pleased with? Well, because he's a worker, God is pleased with all legitimate work. Now, there's some work he's not pleased with. If that's, you know, sin and unjust, that work doesn't please God. But there's really five reasons that Bill Hendricks wrote in his book about your work matters to God. And he says, through work, we serve people, we meet our own needs, we meet our family's needs, we earn money to give to others, and we love God. Saying those five reasons bring purpose to your everyday work, wherever that is, to your school life, to the work you do at home. There's a sense in which, because of that, that pleases God. He's a worker, we're made in his image. And these five reasons show that this is why there's meaning behind our work. There's a purpose behind it. I don't know about you, I don't think about this a lot. I don't think about how what I'm doing can serve people or how what I'm doing can love God by working at it hard, by thanking Him for my work. I don't, I don't think about that a lot. I think about the frustration. I think about the holes. I think about the things that I've not done. But this is like backdrop. And Solomon is saying, this is the stuff you have to figure out so it's not frustrating. This is the stuff you have to consider so you don't feel like you're spinning your wheels your whole life trying to attain something that, that never comes. So this is even in the mundane things of your job, in your life. These things can 
please God. Because of that, our number one ambition should be to please Him at work. In fact, it's not just at work. You could apply this to every area of your life. My number one ambition should be to please God in my relationships. My number one ambition should be to please God in my finances. My number one ambition should be to please God and fill in the blank. But in work, it's, it's just the same. My number one ambition should be to please Him. Now, this goes against a lot of our wiring. A lot of times we go to work thinking how we can kind of coast by and please ourselves, or we've got to please our boss so that we can get what we want. But when you actually approach work to please God, that's where this meaning and fulfillment comes. This is what Solomon goes on to say in verse 26. For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, so it's this picture of the one that just decides he doesn't want to please God. He just wants to do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. He has given the business of gathering and collecting. Only give to the one who pleases God. This also is a vanity and a striving after wind. So if you want fulfillment and meaning in your work and to experience the fruit that comes from it, you have to decide to make God happy in it, to please Him. So the key question is, who am I trying to please in my work? Who is it that I'm working for? Now, pleasing God doesn't mean that you act like you don't have a boss. Actually, pleasing God means you really do show respect and you follow authority. That's why it's important to read Scripture, because you see that this all fits in. But it really means that when you go to work with an attitude of pleasing Him, you kind of take a step back and say, God, how do I handle this project? How do I handle this class? How do I handle this responsibility or this conflict in a way that will please you? Not what I want to get out of it, but what will please you? And that's a daily process you have to do. You have to just take a step back and say, okay, God, in the midst of this, how can I act and relate in a way that pleases you? And Solomon just kind of lays it out there again. It's a sense of when you aim to please him in your job, in the early parts of your job, in the later afternoon parts of your job, in the middle section of your job, that after lunch nap that you want to just, oh, I can't focus, I'm so tired. But in every aspect, if you aim to please, he gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. There's a sense in, there's fulfillment, joy. Doesn't that kind of seem like that almost doesn't make sense? When was the last time you left work? Like, I have joy right now. That was a hard day's work. Thank you, God, for the joy I have from working hard. I, I don't do that. I'm like, <laughs> I wonder what traffic's going to be like. What's for dinner? I'm tired. Does that sound familiar? That's what I do a lot. There's a sense in which, you know, you work hard and you're tired. That actually can please God. And He brings joy. It doesn't mean every day you get out of work and you're driving home and all of a sudden you look at everything like, wow, this is like Christmas every day. No, it's frustrating and it's still tiring and it's still stressful. But there's a sense in which over the long haul, because your work doesn't define you, because your work isn't all that you have, that's where the joy comes. And that's where the wisdom, that's where the knowledge comes. God joins you in what you're doing. 
and he multiplies the work of our hands. And so we have to aim to find joy in our work right now. It won't always be there, but God brings it as again and again we aim to please him. He goes on in Ecclesiastes 3. Uh, I've skipped some passages. Those are the to every season. And so this passage kind of fits within the, the song that you heard. And this is what he says. says. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. It's like I've seen the business and it's not always pretty. There's a lot of people that are stressed out at work. That's what he's saying. He has made everything beautiful in its time. It's a very interesting statement. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. And then he closes out this thought with also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. We see that theme again. This is God's gift to man. So aim to find joy in your work. What Solomon is saying is you don't really know what's going to happen from the work of your hands. You don't know the fruit that's going to come from what you do. This isn't just the case in work. It's really the case in life. As you're working to raise your kids in a way that pleases God, you don't know how they're going to turn out. You have to choose faith. As you work to try to get out of debt and to be responsible and honoring to God in your finances, you don't know how that's going to turn out. You have to choose faith. As you work, what Solomon's talking about, and you're toiling, and you sometimes are just overwhelmed by all that you have to do, you don't know how it's going to turn out. And that's what he means when he says this idea of there's, he brings fruit in its time. It's, it's made beautiful in its time. The thing is, we don't know when that time is. And there's a time for dancing. That's what he talks about. There's a time for dancing and there's a time to gather stones. And here's where we have to aim to find a joy. Most of the time in our work, we want to experience the dancing, the joy, right? We want it to go well all the time. But there's a time in our work, in the seasons that God brings where the work you have right now is gathering stones. Now, we live in a time where it's like, we don't have many stones in the field where we live that we're moving. I don't know the last time you gathered stones. But I, I was doing a work project on my backyard year, years ago, and in our backyard, it was like we had Stonehenge. Okay? I don't know what was going on with the people that lived there before us, but it was a rock concert. See what I did there? Rocks. That was terrible. But there was rocks and boulders and like everything, and you'd dig in the dirt, and then you'd hit a rock, and you'd pull it out, and we'd have to throw it in the dumpster. And then hit more rocks and throw them in the wheelbarrow to throw it to the dumpster. And over time, we're just gathering rocks and rocks and stones and all the stuff that you have to get out of the yard so you can grow things. And as you're wheeling the wheelbarrow and you're thinking, man, this, this is heavy and you're trying not to make sure it tops over, there's a sense in which that, that was hard work. And, you know, you get blisters from your hands and you're sweaty and you're hot and you're thinking, man, this is, this is a lot of stones. There's a lot of things I have to do. You know, your back hurts, your hands hurt. But when I read this, what he's saying is 
there's a time in which the stones have to be gathered. There's a time in which you are going to be working hard at your job and you're not going to know when it will be made beautiful. Because right now, it's ugly. It's hard. It's stressful. There may be no other place you'd rather be than not at your job. But there's a season of that. And that is the gathering of stones. We experience the blisters and we experience the sweat. We experience the soreness. This is all the different demands of the work that we have on our plate. But God makes it beautiful in the time that He determines. So what Solomon is saying is you've got to aim to find joy right now. Especially in work, we're always waiting for the next thing. We get the job and we want the better job. We get a role and we want the promotion. We get paid and we can't wait when we get paid more. We get our degree and we want the job. We want the job. We want the better job. We have young kids and we're, we're kind of thinking like, man, it's, when they get older, it's going to be a lot easier. There's a sense in which in the gathering of stones, in the hardness and stresses of life in the present, oftentimes we look to the future when we're not going to be gathering stones anymore. What Solomon is saying is we cannot make it beautiful in its time. That flows from the hand of God. Sovereign. That's what the scripture calls sovereign. He's in control. You don't know when the fruit is going to come. So Solomon is saying, if you're going to spend so much time of your life, and some of it, a lot of it, is going to be gathering stones, you have to decide, am I going to trust God that gathering stones is what I need to do right now? So I want to encourage you. What Solomon is saying is even the gathering of stones is an opportunity to please him. And so no matter what you're facing, the stress the different things that are kind of pressuring on you and weighing on your shoulders and you feel like you're crushed underneath it. It's in those times that God is actually building endurance in you so you will trust Him to come through for you. So Solomon is saying, as you're experiencing this frustration, as you're experiencing the stress, keep your eyes open. God is at work there. He's at work with the pressure you're facing. He's at work with the pressure I'm facing. And I don't know when the dancing will come. I don't know when it's going to be made beautiful. But I need to trust Him. But His timing is better than mine. That's really what following Jesus is all about. We trust that we allow Him to be the God who decides to give us what He wants to give us in life the circumstances we face. It's very, it's very difficult to do that. But this is what Psalm is saying. This is key to finding the fulfillment that God wants to bring. So I want to encourage you, as you're facing those different things, God may be trying to get your attention. There may be some lessons that He wants you to learn in the gathering of stones. So I encourage you, you take the time to, to ask Him. Take the time to aim to make your effort to please Him. In that, that's where you see Him and you find the fulfillment that He brings. I want to ask the band to come up as I, as I wrap up and I just want to encourage you to take some next steps this morning. 
These next steps are really our way of saying, how do you take what you've, you've heard? How do you take the scriptures that we've looked at? And how do you actually apply that to your life? And so God speaks to us. That's what he does. And he speaks to us through the scriptures. And that's where we see a lot of what he does. So as you've heard these scriptures and as you've been chewing on this stuff, I just encourage you, what, what's God speaking to you today? Is there something that he wants you to do? Is there something he wants you to think about? Is there an attitude he wants you to have? And jot that down. We also have some suggested next steps. If you're trying to figure it out and you'd like some help, on the back of your connection card, if you can pull those out, and if you haven't finished filling out the connection card, you can go ahead and do that now. But you can mark on there, there's a few things. You can memorize Ecclesiastes 2.24. I know for me, a lot of times, memorizing Scripture is what helps me keep the right perspective. So you may want to do that. Just every day, read that verse. And just kind of meditate on it. Think about what that means. Uh, maybe you just want to identify where you are in the spectrum of work. Whether it's your focus or whether it's your foe. Maybe you're in the middle and you just feel like you're a roller coaster trying to figure it out. What you can do is every day this week, ask God before work every day that you can dedicate your work to Him. And maybe a prayer like this, God, I don't know what I'm going to face today at work. I don't know the different problems or the pressures of the people. But God, will you help me to please you? Will you help me to, to think about how I can act and how I can think and how I can speak in a way that will please you? And what you'll find is as you pray that and as you focus on that, God allows you to see things differently, even in the gathering of stones. So why don't you pray with me? I'm going to pray for all of us that that will really be true for us this week. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for setting the example of working hard. And we just admire the work of your hands. We thank you for the creation that we get to experience. And so many times we take it for granted that as we walk out and we see the creation, the hills, the mountains, the trees, the birds, that is all representative of the fact that you are a hardworking God. You are diligent and you set the pace in what it means to work. And so, God, working is something that it actually pleases you. You don't want us to be lazy. You don't want us to be consumed by it. But it can please you. And so, God, help us to know anything that we're doing in our work or anything in our attitude right now that's not pleasing, anything that's just focused on ourselves or what we can gain. And, God, we ask that you will bring fulfillment in the midst of what we face right now. And as we're experiencing maybe some of the fruit, we thank you for it. And as maybe we're experiencing some of the stress, we ask that in the midst of it, uh, we won't give up, uh, we won't be afraid, uh, but we'll trust you in it. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.